0: Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. So last week when I was recording the podcast with Tim Miller, the word came across the wire that the Congressman Adam Kinzinger had decided that he was not going to run for re-election. And he announced that decision in a short video. And this is what he said. Somehow I won. And I'll never forget that campaign, the
1: excitement of election night and the new majority, and those supporters who reminded me to be my own man and to never do what they tell you to do, but do what's right. I stand tall and proud, knowing that I have done just that. I also remember during that campaign saying that if I ever thought it was time to move on from Congress, I would. And that time is now. But let me be clear. My passion for this country has only grown.
0: So, joining me on the podcast is Adam Kinzinger. How are you, sir? Brother, it's good to be with you. I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a
1: different world, but, you know, I like it. I'm mm-hmm. happy.
0: So about five minutes ago, I was doing a, a public radio interview in, in your home state of Illinois, and, and the mm-hmm. first question was, "What? Well, so were you surprised? Were you disappointed by that? And I said, I wasn't surprised, but... You know, part of me is disappointed. Yeah. Uh, because you know, with guys like you leave the Republican Party, leave Congress, it just creates you're going to your place will be taken by the more deplorable. So you you said uh, in in that video that you're you're not going anywhere that you're going to stay in politics. So so tell me about that. Yeah. So you know, look, it's you have to
1: in this business. You know, be honest with yourself. Be honest with your constituents. And, you know, look, at the end of this term, it'll be 12 years in Congress. Mm. But I also recognize that, look, when this term's over, let's say I win again, okay? And that's a a tough thing in today's Republican Party. Let's say I win again. I come back to D.C. and what? Continue the same fight against now a majority. Um, You know, where can I make the most difference? Where can I have the biggest impact? You know, country first has grown exponentially. Um, You know, the ability to go out and talk to people in Democrats, Republican and independent circles. I think there's a desire for something else. But the biggest thing, too, is like, look, I got it 10 years ago. I was drawn in with a Republican member of Congress, Don Manzullo. Mm -hmm. And we had to have a bruising brother against brother primary. And I always realized if that ever happened again, I I never wanted to go through that again. The Democrats targeted me. I mean, look, two blocks east of where I live is a whole different congressional district. They obviously drew me in with another Republican. And that's just not I'm not interested in going through another bruising primary like that, you know ultimately win or lose. But if you lose, does that only embolden the other side? How can I make the biggest impact? I'm not ruling out governor. I'm not ruling out Senate. I'm not ruling out anything. But I think the time on the House is
0: over. It's time to move on and to fight harder and harder as I can. You said a couple of things there that I want to come back to, um, but but let's talk about this. They, 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 I know that Jonathan Last wrote about this uh, in the Bulwark that it was disappointing that the Democrats did target you. Yeah, I mean they could have at least acknowledged that you had taken this stand, and it's kind of felt like politics as usual. When in fact it's not politics as usual. So, um, was that was that disappointing to you? Did that surprise you that the Democrats gave you cut you no slack, gave you no credit for the stand that you've taken? I guess it didn't really surprise
1: me because, you know, and I'm not complaining, but I look at it and I go, you know, this is Chicago, Chicago. All they care about is the raw numbers. They're obviously getting a lot of pressure from DC, you know, to go from when I was elected, we had 11 Republican members of Congress in Illinois. We're down to five after this map. If the map holds, we'll be down to three. Mm -hmm. I'm saying if it holds in terms of what they expect it to the outcome to be, um, and, and yeah, I mean, look, it's, is it a disappointment? Sure. Because what I've been saying, and it's not, again, about me, it's about the fact that I've said this a number of times, I know you have too, which is I'm not sure the Democrats truly understand the threat that exists to democracy. I'm not sure they truly understand, you know, like I do, like you do, like most of your listeners do, that this is the kind of thing we're in two or four years We could end up in a very different country that doesn't recognize elections and stuff. And uh, instead, we're just going after whoever we can for numbers. That kind of power politics is not going to end well. See, this is exactly
0: the question that I had, which was that if Democrats really do believe that we face this existential threat to democracy, if they really do believe that there's the prospect of, you know, the nightmare prospect of a restored Trump presidency 2.0, the revenge tour then shouldn't they act like it and in this particular case and by the way by acting like it that would include making common cause with people who have allied with them on this one most important issue which is the you know standing up against donald trump and obviously they you know you disagree with them on, on many many issues but they did put you on the january 6th committee so there's some bipartisan cooperation uh, but that is disappointing because if if you did regard this, if they really are serious that this is the overriding issue of our times, then shouldn't they be more open to making common cause with people who agree with them on that issue?
1: I think so, and and you know, and I think I think the problem is again, it's, it's not understanding the real threat that exists. I think you know, it's Maslow Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We can disagree on every issue under the sun and be, you know, political enemies. But when all of a sudden basic things like survival and food and shelter is a threat, which I would argue, you know, is the case when it comes to the threatening of democracy, when it comes to the, you know, the road to a civil war, um, that all of a sudden should become your top priority. Now, I'm not saying this to say, like, Democrats should give me a pass or ask. I, like, I'm still a, a, I, I still am a conservative. But I just don't think that there is the recognition out there that this is serious. The answer, for instance, to what we saw in the, you know, Virginia elections and stuff isn't necessarily that we need to spend more and more and more. And people were, you know, voted for Glenn Youngkin because, you know, government didn't spend enough. It's because there's a lot of deeper issues out there that we all have to get to the bottom of to to save the future of
0: this country. So you you also mentioned that you're not ruling out governor or senator, but don't the same political dynamics apply, which is that 70, 80 percent of Republicans insist on loyalty to Donald Trump uh, for Republicans? So are you talking about running possibly in a primary? Would you consider a third party bid independent? What are you thinking? Look, those are all
1: possibilities. If I did decide to do this and I ran as a Republican, I would not be a different Adam than you know now. It would be an aspirational campaign, hoping, you know, that that's enough to get you through a primary, particularly in Illinois. If it's not, it says a lot. If it is, you continue to run an inspirational, aspirational campaign in the general election. The other thing is, you know, in Illinois, for instance, to, to become an independent and run as an independent is like virtually, virtually impossible because, you know, to, if you want to run as an independent for the House, for instance, for U.S. Congress, if you run as a Republican, it's like 800 petition signatures. If you want to run as an independent in Illinois, it's like 16,000. And by the way, anybody that signs your petition can never have voted in a primary before. <laughs> Ever. Right? Ever. Okay. So, right. you, so, that's, so that's like these are, the, these are the actual physical obstacles that exist to challenging the status quo, but look—if I don't end up running, it's fine. I'm going to tell you, I, I will look. I will look seriously at, at possibilities for 2024. I want to see where the Country First movement grows, and if it means, you know, challenging Donald Trump for the nomination, it's something I wouldn't rule out. You would not rule that out. I wouldn't because I I, look, I know that it it would be hard, right? But I think what I've come to realize is like the thing that our party is lacking and the country is lacking is true people out there telling the truth and leading. And sometimes if that means, you know, as a candidate for a bigger office or as something that gives you a forum to tell the truth, we need people being willing to do that, being willing to lose to get the message out. Michael Wood in Texas, for instance, he lost, but he talked to millions of people and told the truth. And I was so proud to support him for that very reason.
0: Now, did I see that you actually endorsed Evan McMullen, who's running as an independent conservative in Utah against Mike Lee? I did. So is this something that you're going to be doing? Are you going to be um, speaking out on other races outside of, of Illinois? A hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, because
1: that's what I think is important. So, you know, when I was in Utah with Evan, um, I had gotten asked a question like, well, are you giving up on the Republican Party or do you believe it should be independent? I'm like, look, in a place like Utah, it's easier for an independent to get on the ballot. You know, Evan McMullen got something like 20% in the presidential election in 16 there. It would have been higher, except people kind of quote unquote went home towards the end. He has a real shot to beat Mike Lee. And mm-hmm. uh, he has a real shot to consolidate Democrats not by becoming a liberal, but by saying, hey, it's me or Mike Lee, by winning over independents, certainly, and some Republicans. I think he has a shot. And I think it is important for people to stand up with folks like that to challenge the status quo because win or lose – He's challenging that and putting the Republican establishment on the defensive.
0: So let's talk about the future of the Republicans. Um, We've devoted a lot of time talking about what what the elections this week meant for Democrats in New Jersey and uh, Virginia. I mean, ugly, ugly results for Democrats. But I want to just turn the script around. How are, are Republicans going to react to this? I mean, how will your colleagues react Will this embolden them to continue the course? I mean, does this basically tell them everything we're doing is fine? Or do you see the possibility that some of them will think, hey, there's a formula here for moving past Trump, distancing ourselves from Trump? How how do you think it plays in the Republican Party?
1: Yeah, so I think there's good and bad with it in terms of just that raw reality. The good is, I think Glenn Youngkin does show a Republican who desires to distance him or herself from Trump, a path to do it, okay? The bad thing is I do believe the vast majority of Republicans, and I wasn't in the conference meeting today, but I'm sure, you know, when I'm in those, uh, which I haven't been in a year, but I'm sure the discussion is this is proof that what we're doing works. And you know what? It may. You know, the culture war stuff, the division, that does work. The problem is it may work for 2022, God forbid it could work for 2024. But in the long term, it destroys very nations and destroys parties. So I I think, you know, while it's certainly an interesting race, anybody can take their lessons from it. I think in one case, it does give people a pattern if they want to, you know, break away. But I also think as a party, it reinforces things like let's use critical race theory, culture, war, et cetera. And, And that's, again, on the short term, it works. Long term, it's what divides countries to the point we're at today.
0: What does it say, though, about Donald Trump's clout? Um, clearly, Yunkin and, and McAuliffe, I think, agreed on this—that uh, Donald Trump would be a net negative for the Republicans if he came. So clearly, yeah. you know, Yunkin had made it clear, you know, "Don't come, we don't want you here." Um, you know, please stay w- as far away as possible. McAuliffe was virtually begging Trump <laughs> to come to Virginia. So. Uh, obviously, Trump himself is uh, is doing a victory lap, spiking the football, saying this was all about him. And I suppose you could argue that uh, in in part, he's responsible for the juiced up turnout in the southern parts of the state. So give me your sense of, You know, how how will your Republican colleagues evaluate the clout of Trump in a general election?
1: Yeah, I think they'll evaluate the clout however they want to, you know, however they want it to benefit them. But here's what Mm -hmm. I think is even a bigger problem, uh, which is it's not so much in my mind anymore about Donald Trump. I I do think if he runs in 2024, he's the front runner. I think he wins a nomination. Mm -hmm. But I think Trumpism is now the thing. Like, I think Donald Trump, I, it really feels to me a little bit like he is a almost non-relevant figure that people are using as kind of a weekend at Bernie's. Keep pretending like he's relevant because we've learned his tricks and now we're going to do that in fundraising. I mean, for goodness sakes, the NRCC put out a text calling, you know, their own donors friggin' traitors. And then,
0: you know, so strange.
1: It, it's so strange. Yeah. And so my my worry is that we're learning Trumpism now. And Trump is kind of just this figure we pat in at, at, at Mar-a-Lago to allow us to use Trumpism. That, to me, is even more frightening than even Donald Trump's return because that, that goes to the very soul of the party. And to people that, you know, when I said I'm not running again or when Anthony Gonzalez says he's not running again, that say, well, you are handing Donald Trump a victory. I get it. And, and look, I was disappointed when Anthony didn't run again. But the truth is, Um, Yeah, obviously I have my own unique circumstances in my district and in the redistricting, but the truth is it is not on Anthony and I and Liz Cheney and the others to fix the Republican Party. It's on the 190 or 200 people that haven't said a damn word. Uh, about Donald Trump keeping their head in the sand that are just begging for us to succeed, but in their town halls at home saying, you know, that we're all rhinos. That's what the lack of courage is. And that's the people that own
0: the future of the Republican party. Okay. And that's not going to change, right? Somebody asked me about that. Somebody on the public radio station asked me specifically about that comment you made. And I said, you know, and I don't see any prospect that 190 members are going to speak out. Yeah, I think they've made their decision. I think that the results of the election of this week probably reinforce that and just keep your head down and, you know, get in, get into the majority. So you're right. So they represent the future of the Republican Party. So the fight for the soul of the Republican Party is over, isn't it? You know, or, it, it, to an extent, it feels like it. I yeah. mean, it does.
1: I, you know, I, I mean, probably if we go back over the tapes of every time I've done your podcast, yeah. there's always a sense of optimism. I feel less optimistic. And, and I feel less optimistic because the church, I used to consider myself an evangelical Christian. I have since shed that term because now I just say I'm Protestant because evangelical has become a political movement that I don't assign myself to. Um, I think the church has failed. I think political parties have failed. And so I look at this and go, if we continue down this path, and I don't see any real chance of us averting away from this path, then I think we may hit a point. We may be there now we may hit a point where there has to be a serious movement for a third party. Or, you know, does country first lead a third party? Does it create, you know, people within the existing parties that are for something? I don't know. But um, something, people cannot be unrepresented for so long. I just don't know when that time is, and I don't have that answer.
0: Yeah, I I, 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 I'm, I think I'm there with you on all of that because there's there is it doesn't seem that there's any prospect that you're going to have a non-Trumpy in a Republican Party anytime soon. But I want to go back to the point you made about how Donald Trump is really now kind of a figurehead in the party. And I think this is an important point. I was having this discussion with somebody the other day that, uh, and I, I think I've said this on the podcast as well, that the Republican Party really doesn't have a leadership problem, it has a followership problem. It's, yeah. It is that everybody is you know, afraid of or listening to what's happening with the base. Uh, the yep. entertainment wing of the party is is dominant. And so what you have is political leaders who take their cues from what's happening at the grassroots state level. And so whether Trump is there or not, the the the, the soul of the party has been changed. I mean, this is the Republican Party right now. It has been Trumpified. And if Trump disappeared from the, you know, from the stage tomorrow, it wouldn't fix the Republican Party because this is what they've become. And in some ways, he's a reflection of that. He didn't actually bring anything new to the party. He simply emphasized things that were already there and that have become much, much more dominant over the last five years.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that assessment because I always say this, like, you know, you get all the question of did Donald Trump cause this or, or right. not? I think Donald Trump was the result of this, but he also accelerated it. He was an accelerant, because never before did we had anybody just stand up and say such ludicrous crap, right? right? But you look, I mean, right after the Virginia election, Donald Trump puts out like four press releases, which are just bat crazy. And, you know, and people are like, okay, whatever. You realize he doesn't make headlines anymore. But whether he's there or not, Who is going to be the next Donald Trump? And there will be somebody because he showed that at this moment that works. He showed that if the NRCC says you are a traitor, you, you current donor to us, you know, on fixed income, social security are a traitor because you haven't donated again, by the way, probably raised a ton of money. And we live in a time where we have to raise more and more money and anger makes it easier and easier. And it's a, it's It is a doom loop that we cannot stop without people recognizing that we can. Here's like the quick existential kind of esoteric thing. I don't even know if those are the right words, Mm. but you know, big, smart words. Um, You can't stop this until you know that you can. And uh, unfortunately, Mm. people are saying we can't do anything until we've seen results. And so they look at a few people and say, show us results. Well, we can't because we need more people. So on the idea of third party or different movements within the party, um, you know, people are waiting to see evidence that that works, but the truth is it's not going to work until we all kind of jump off the cliff. It's, you know, using the flight 93 kind of thing. Todd Beamer himself couldn't have taken down and saved the Capitol, but a lot of people were able to.
0: So let's talk about what happened in Virginia and in New Jersey. What's your read on the collapse of the democratic coalition in those States? I mean, in New Jersey, uh, this is a state that Joe Biden won a year ago by 16 points. He won Virginia yeah. by 10 points. And New Jersey, it, it looks, as you and I are talking, like the Democratic governor will pull out a he got a very, very, very narrow victory. It should not have been this close yeah. at all. Um, Virginia, obviously, is now has, has now flipped. Uh, you're seeing Republicans running up massive majorities in the rural areas. And the story in New Jersey is just the collapse of Working class, blue collar support for uh, the Democrats. So why is this happening? I mean, I I guess in the context of the conversations we've had about all the terrible things that have been going on in the Republican Party, I mean, this is this is a Republican Party that has become increasingly extreme on a variety of issues. It's been a clown car. Um, You know, it's got this is the party of uh, Lauren Boebert and and Marjorie Taylor Greene, Madison Cawthorn, and Paul Gosart and Louis Gohmert and everything, and yet Democrats are can't beat them in blue states.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's, I, first off, I think the swapping of the parties is almost complete, right? The old Republicans are the new Democrats and vice versa. Um, I think that's almost totally complete now. And Sweet. I think it is weird. and and it's not even a, a swap in policies, just kind of, I don't know, culture, but I think it's a couple things. Number one, Um, you know, as I mentioned, I think the only way to pull this country out of this morass is with leaders, right? Anytime you think of a good president, you think of him saying something to the American people at a time when they feel very differently. So, you know, 9-11, George W. Bush says, we're not taking this out on the larger Muslim faith. Of course, he could Mm -hmm. have said, let's go take out all the Muslims. And everybody would have been like, yeah, but that took leadership Nobody leads, you know, public opinion falls leaders, leaders follow public opinion. We chase ourselves into the traffic and get hit repeatedly. But the other thing is, I don't think that, I mean, look, take you and I, when we say something that's conservative, you know, um, all of a sudden we are And Twitter's not real life, but there is some reflection (laughs) of it. Right. We are excoriated. How many times do you get the, Oh, Charlie, we thought you were different. Really? Like, don't oh, you want somebody that holds their principles, but your like
0: stripes are showing.
1: Oh my gosh. I and can't by the way, these are this. the
0: same people are saying, I'm just, you know, looking forward to the time we can go back to arguing about issues, you know, after <laughs> Donald Trump and differing. And it's like, well, no, apparently not. He apparently yeah. not willing to go back to all of that. Yes.
1: Yeah. I get, I get all the, I've seen all the comments where it's like, let's trade Kinzinger for cinema and mansion. I'm like, no, trust me. That won't, that, that, that'll that be a short lived honeymoon. Um, But yeah, it's like, I don't think the the, so the Democrats and this is where I even have to get way better at it is understanding when you're talking about, you know, these people in West Virginia, disaffected folks, you know, that the Republicans have been that Trump has been able to attract is like, how do we talk to them? You don't talk to, you know, red America by telling them that, you know, you lost this election because you didn't spend an additional three trillion dollars yet right? There was nobody. Glenn Youngkin didn't win Virginia because the Democrats didn't spend enough money. He won Virginia because they're upset at what the Democrats are doing. And, you know, I got to tell you, the Democrats right now are where we were six years ago when we were being held hostage by the Freedom Club in our party, and they were forcing us to go more and more extreme. That's where they are. Now, they don't have a Donald Trump yet that's going to accelerate that, but that's where they are. They're hostage to
0: their extreme it It does seem see, I, I've made this point before. I kind of have this flashback to the 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 freedom caucus and and Ted Cruz saying, you know, we're going to, you know, take this stand that has no chance of success, no end game. <laughs> yeah. and and yet it was cheered on by the grassroots. It had the you know, the media echo chambers. And, There's a very similar vibe from the progressive caucus here. And I also think that the the Democrats would make a mistake in thinking they can solve all the problems that that they face right now simply by passing those bills. Because I think that there's something else going on here. And there is there is that that disconnect. Um, As I've said, you know, I think that you you have a, you know, for whatever reason, they have lost the ability to talk to some of what used to be their base. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether they're making you know a significant effort on, on some of these. And I, I know that there's a whole group of Democrats that just hate it when you say you shouldn't criticize this at all. But, I, but I think, you know, my point is guys, if you think this is an existential threat, then you ought to recognize that we are providing some tough love that you're, yeah. you have one job, do not screw this up because if you screw this up, if you fail, Um, you will not just lose in New Jersey and in Virginia, but you're going to lose nationally. And then Donald Trump is coming back in the white house and Donald Trump 2.0 is going to be a lot worse than Donald Trump 1.0 as horrible as that was. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And it's like, take the
1: tough love because look, it's, you know, it's, it's like if I had some advice from four years ago, uh, that I could tell myself back in, you know, 16, it would be, it would be very basic. It would be like, Hey, listen, you're gonna recognize there are a lot of people that feel very disaffected out there and hopeless. listen to them, hear them. But instead of turning their hopelessness feeling into anger, which will work, try to try to give optimistic reasons to to overcome. And I you know, and I wish I could have told myself that. that's where the Democrats are. And by the way, I do think that, that we're on the verge, and I don't think the Republicans have this yet. I don't think the Democrats certainly don't have it. We're on the verge of kind of the next iteration of where government goes is a restoration of local government. I think people feel so disaffected by the federal government that it, it kind of returns power to state and locals. Obviously, our party's not doing a good job of that. And also reinventing solutions, new solutions to old problems. Um, whoever grasps that will win. Unfortunately, both sides are stuck in the, you know, same debate when Ronald Reagan was running for president.
0: Well, that is the problem. You know, people say, you know, are you still a conservative? And I my response, which seems weenie, is to say I'm just not sure what the word means anymore because it, you know, clearly sure. we're, we're, it's not 1981 anymore. It's not 1987. We just can't go through the same motions with the same sorts of of policies and I'm I'm not sure what those uh you know you know what what that governing philosophy is right now. Do, I mean, you're you're a Republican member of the House of Representatives. Does, do the Republicans of the House of Representatives have a positive governing philosophy? Do they have a do they have a coherent plan for an alternative plan for health care? Because I, I don't hear well, it.
1: No, I mean, so look, we you know, I actually think our replacement plan for Obamacare when we did this. You know, had the Freedom Club not come in with their hey, we can't have pre existing condition protection, which was insane, you know, that you know, that clown Rand Paul comes over and tries to make a big deal that we're doing it behind closed doors. Well yeah, that's how legislation's drafted. Um, But no, we don't have any response to that. Uh, Literally, the plan to take the majority is attack Democrats. Um, I mean, I'm not a member really in good standing of the Republican Party, but Marjorie Taylor Greene and Madison Cawthorn are because, you know, they get retweets and they're nuts. And so, no, there isn't. And we're going to win probably the majority just because – that's 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 what we're trending towards. But there is no broader plan. It's like, let's go back to what works, which is anger and division. And I got to tell you again, as Republicans, as conservatives, whatever that is, um, it is not look Ronald Reagan's policies were perfect in 1980 because we had high you know, tax rates. We had stagnated growth and everything. We don't have to keep advocating the exact same policies. We have wage disparity in this country. I don't know the answer to wage to wage disparity, but it's not higher taxes or lower taxes. We have, you know, persistent poverty in this country. I don't know what the answer is to that, but I know that the inner city and the rural town have way more in common than anybody else. They should actually be allies instead of politically opposed to each other. And I don't know who the best candidate for president in 2024 is, but I know that the opposite of Joe Biden is not Donald Trump. It's not that, well, Joe Biden's not a great president, so we need to vote Donald Trump. No, we need a complete utter ground up reinvention of answers. We talk about when was the creation of the modern conservative movement. We need a new creation of the modern, whatever we can call it, the flabagel movement. I don't care. But whatever this new movement is and new solutions, because we are stuck
0: in this morass. Yeah, I, I do think that the, the lack of solutions seems to be a, a, a problem, but you're right. I mean, obviously, uh, if, the, if the Republicans get control of Congress next year, I'm guessing that the number one priority of a Republican House will be to impeach Joe Biden. Is that, is that going too far?
1: Oh, uh, guaranteed. Look, we will have, they already have it. articles of impeachment. I, MTG drafted them up the day after he was put in power. You know, after all their outrage about how I voted to impeach Donald Trump, well, we're going to impeach Joe Biden because he's, uh, you know, six foot. And like, oh, you know, yeah, I think I think every vote will be some version of defund Obamacare, but for impeaching Joe Biden. It's going to be a blast. And by a blast, I mean awful.
0: So tell me this. Uh, there's clearly still, and maybe you're all endangered species, but the, but there's still clearly... A group of house republicans who would be willing to work with uh democrats on certain issues i mean there was more than 30 what was it 36 uh, republicans that voted in favor of the of the january sixth commission the yeah. one that was eventually killed yeah. you had at least 10 republicans that voted to impeach donald trump and yet it seems like we've settled into party line votes on almost everything Literally what, what is the dynamic? Because I I think there are people who, you mentioned Twitter who look at you and Liz Cheney and go, yeah, but you're still voting with Republicans. Why aren't you voting with the Democrats? What, what, what is the dynamic that's happening right now?
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. And and this is a a real truth, you know, for people out there, if you listen to this with an open mind, uh, there is a, there would be a lot more crossing party lines, except that a lot of these bills are created by Nancy Pelosi to be partisan. You know, let's take voting rights, right? That's that's okay. the favorite of every lefty on Twitter. Uh, I, I, want, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. so that's yeah. the favorite of everybody on Twitter of, oh, I appreciate what Kinzinger's doing, but, but voting but. rights. Okay, let's look at the voting rights bill. What the John Lewis Act does is it basically says the Supreme Court in 2013 said that preclearance was a relic. It was supposed to be temporary And this has to go away. Like basically we have to move on from 1965 and not every little change in specific states have to go through the attorney general. They basically put that back in place. Now listen, where I'm sympathetic is that I want to make sure that there is nothing that can be done to prevent somebody's ability to vote. That is not the same thing as saying we go back to a, to a civil rights era construct and how to treat some of these states. I think there is an easy way to get to a middle ground. I don't know if it's easy, but I think there's a way to get to a middle ground, at least something I'd vote for. I'm eager to vote for something. But it cannot be simply the restoration of this idea of preclearance where you concentrate a lot of power in the attorney general instead of, you know, because that takes a long time to explain. Instead, it's just Adam Kinzinger's against vo- voting rights. And that's bullcrap. I am the opposite of against voting rights. And, and that's where we can actually make a difference. But unfortunately, we keep being stuck in this idea of like, you voted against this, therefore you're my enemy.
0: Okay. So I, I understand that point, but the last time the Voting Rights Act was reauthorized back in, I think, 2006, wasn't the vote unanimous?
1: Yeah, it was, but that was, and and, and this is another kind of nuance of it, that was actually a deal that was cut, I think, between your guy, Sensenbrenner Brenner, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I say your guy is Wisconsin, yeah, yeah. but um, Sensenbrenner Brenner and the Democrats, and I think it was considered to be we're going to pass this as a way to kind of get through this moment. And so it was taken under unanimous consent. Well, it made a big difference though, when um, I don't know, unanimous consent, it was taken with that good vote, good vote. But then the difference was made when the Supreme court took it up and said, we have to recognize that history changes. And because of the sins of the mid sixties, we can't keep certain targeted States under this construct. Now, I don't, again, I, I think one of the things we need to do as politicians is admit when we don't know everything. I don't know what the right compromise is, but I certainly know I'm eager for something on that. But quit using it as a weapon against me to say I'm against voting rights, because that just pisses me off every time I hear it from my left wing friends.
0: Do you think you might support the Manchin compromise, the Manchin Murkowski compromise that's been floated over in the Senate?
1: Yeah, I don't know the details of it, yeah. but I would say probably yes because yeah. I respect Joe Manchin, and I respect Murkowski, and I think I'm not going to look at a bill and say it's perfect what I want. But if there's any version of compromise,
0: I tend to favor it. I said I was going to focus on Republicans, but you know, thinking about what just happened uh, with with the elections, it strikes me that uh, the, the Democrats have let Republicans off the hook in in a, in a certain way that that since they have been engaged in their in their circular firing squad, uh, Republicans have really been in a very comfortable position of sit- sitting on the sidelines, having no obligation to come up with anything positive, uh, just sort of throwing rocks while Democrats um, eviscerate one another. Because yeah, there's you know Twitter attacks on you, but about a hundred times as many uh, Twitter attacks on Democrats, right? I mean, on, yeah. on Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Cinema, and it's it, at a certain point I want to say to the Democrats, guys, do you understand that? you are attacking one another when the real dynamic here is that Republicans have, you know, know, are united against everything. Yeah. And, and, and and yet that's, sort of off the frame you know what i yeah. mean i mean kevin mccarthy's got to go this is this is kind of a gift to us right nobody yeah. nobody's pounding me like why are we not voting for x y or z is he getting questions like well how do you stand on the child tax credit well how do you stand on on on, on uh prescription drug prices no it's it, it's all you know which democrat is attacking which democrat on any given day yeah i mean
1: he hasn't even answered i don't think if joe biden's a legitimately elected president he's uh. You know, all that skating he's done on January 6th, because he'll go do Fox News, that's it, and then he'll do a, you know, press conference occasionally where he just, uh, you know, obfuscates, pushes to the Democrats, and uh, look, it's the advantage of being in the minority, but the stakes are so high right now, and, and this is like... You know, and and now the Democrats are arguing $1.7 trillion, by the way, is just not enough. And, oh, my gosh, you know, let's bring out the fainting couches. Well, look, again, Glenn Youngkin's victory wasn't because the people thought that, you know, McAuliffe wasn't going to spend enough money. It was other issues. Spending is not going to be helpful for them. But that's again, they're stuck in their kind of 1980s mantra the Republicans are stuck in their 1980s mantra. Whoever comes along with a whole new 21st century
0: mantra can can seize the narrative. Well, see, that's the disappointment. I think is that I, I think that there was a prospect for some kind of bipartisan cooperation on things like you know pro-family, ch- pro-child legislation, but uh, I don't see that happening anymore, and I don't see that happening when Republicans take control of Congress next year.
1: No, which, and which I think isn't likely. It's not going to happen until the American people demand it happen or until the American people quit responding to the text messages that say you're a traitor or quit, you know, spending 20 hours a day with, you know, one of these national news stations on the background boiling your blood (laughs) making you outraged because charlie i quit looking at the news at some point i mean i still look at the news now but you know there are points where i take off of looking at any version of news and i find out i am still as well informed as i've ever been i just am less outraged Uh, until the american people say our engines have been on red line and the republican and democratic party are abusing us
0: uh it's going to be the same you know that's that's true if you step away from it sometime it's like it's it's almost as if you look around and go oh my goodness the sky is still there people are still decent and reasonable people are not angry all the time about everything and there's a there's a little bit of a surprise there isn't there when you step away from it so i mean how you you mentioned before we started the podcast you know that you're you sound like a guy who is pretty comfortable with the decision you've made, that you're loving life. You, I mean, do you feel kind of a little bit liberated? I mean, I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of disappointment. I understand yeah. that. But but how are you feeling about this now? Look, I, I feel very liberated. And I think it's helpful that,
1: again, you know, the Democrats put me in a position where I really didn't have much of a choice. Um, so you, you don't sit around with a lot of regrets. Um, But I'll tell you, here's an interesting thing. I landed Monday. So I fly myself. I fly my own plane back and forth, (laughs) you know, and uh, I landed in D.C. on Monday with my wife. We get out of the plane and I'm like, this is and this is God's honest truth. This is the first time in years I have landed in Washington, D.C. and not felt a 600 pound weight like descend upon me. The weight of what you have to do, of these decisions, of all this stuff, I feel happy. And then I got food poisoning, but that's, you know, totally separate, but like, I feel happy. And so for me, it's giving me a clear vision to say, what is next? How do we keep this fight going without having to be in the morass of, you know, taking partisan votes in Congress, running for a partisan election, and then talking about, you know, non-partisanship. Those are conflicting messages. Now I can just go out and
0: say say whatever I want to say whenever I want to say it. So we, we got to find the metaphor in the food poisoning because, I mean, that's like the worst <laughs> feeling in the world. I mean, I, except, uh, except it's
1: temporary. Yeah. Right? I yeah. exercised myself of uh. all prior political, you know, programming and while it wasn't fun i now
0: feel liberated and happy that's a bad one no i, it's, I <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of the last time that i actually had food poisoning it, it's it's oh. one of those moments where you're you know you're going just kill me now i just i yeah. just that's your your will to live is destroyed and the funny thing about it is I, i'm i'm remembering this is like a long 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 time ago I, I had actually just been fired from the job that i had which was yeah. is a, is, a, is a traumatic experience so and i was doing okay And then, you know, somebody brought over a a pot of like turkey soup or something that had been left out for a little (laughs) while. And I was as sick as I've ever been in my life. And I'm thinking, this is kind of a low point. I I need to make a note right now that I'm lying on the bathroom floor on the (laughs) tile saying, kill me now. Two days after I just got fired from my job and I am (laughs) sick as hell. But then, of course, you know. A few hours later, you feel better and you move on with life, so, <laughs> right?
1: right? Yeah. So see, it's a hellish moment.
0: You're going you to look back on Congress as kind of like, I and I had food poisoning for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it. I feel exercised now and yeah, free. It it, <laughs> it feels so much better now that it's stopped. Adam Kinzinger, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Anytime. Thanks for doing what you're doing. I, I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again.